welcome to We're Not Wizards. We are the best, but not wizards. Enjoy the show! My name's Richard. I'll be your host for June. Right here in the June, it's singing a lovely tune. There's something singing a lovely tune in the background just now, but we'll get onto that in an absolute second. There's something chirping away like it's like the happiest thing in the world. Now, the last time that we all got together, my good friends, we had Tori Brown. They were on the episode. Now, they, they did make a couple of comments. So... In this kind of situation, I think it's right that you have to kind of, you can't just have one person there. You've got to go the full fort circle and bring on Kevin Bertram, who is like the founder, is the owner, is the is the big kahuna, is the intelligent cheese, is the big boss, is the main man, is the bright shiny star in the chirpy sky. So from fort that's circle a, games, I've got Kevin Bertram. <laughs> So how are you doing? I'm I'm doing great. Uh, I have to be honest. Today has really been a day of new knowledge. Uh, right. In preparation, I was looking up famous Scottish people, and uh-huh. like you know, I know like some yeah. of the big ones, right? Robert Burns, David Tennant, uh, yeah. but Calvin Harris is yeah. uh, is Scottish. I had no idea. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Sean Connery. <laughs> I've heard of him too. Yes, most. Most of the doctors that are part of Doctor Who, all the good ones are Scottish. Peter yeah. Capaldi. Capal- yeah. Peter so. Capaldi. Even, you know, your man, uh, Sylvester McCoy. I mean, uh, that I mean that was towards the end of the kind of the Doctor type of yeah. era where they were doing lots of their stuff. They did lots of their filming in, like, kind of quarries and warehouses with kind of, like, inflated rubber gloves for bad guys and stuff like that. But, you know, they, they, they kind of did their best at the time. Um, I, I think I think Colin Baker's when it started to really get a little off the rails bad. Uh, Peter Davidson wasn't terrible, uh, but I had grown up on um, oh the Third Doctor, uh, John Pertwee, and so right. I know everyone else is a Tom Baker, and like obviously I you know, have a lot of respect for him, but like it's just interesting. And then that big hiatus, and now I'm glad it's back. So and now my daughter can enjoy it. So well, the first. The first Doctor I remember, and it was the strangest thing, the strangest episode ever, it was the regeneration of Tom Baker um, into, is it Peter Davidson? So yes. I'd never seen Doctor Who before, so my first, you know, and and like in those days when I was growing up, there wasn't such a thing as the internet. I mean, now kids, if they're going in to watch a first thing, they've already watched about five YouTube videos about the stuff. They've probably read the Wikipedia. You know, they've gone on to watch kind of TikToks and reaction videos to different episodes, so they know kind of what they're getting into. And it was, I think it was the one of the first, and the master was in it. And it was, oh, the, oh yeah, the yeah. master master. And he was still into shrinking people at the time. But I remember seeing this regeneration and this guy kind of seeming to die and then kind of get up be, being a completely different person altogether. And that was like, that was my kind of first foray into Doctor Who. Welcome to We're Not Whovians. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll be discussing the latest news. Um, <clears throat> it's, ex- I don't know. It's kind of, a, it's kind of an exciting, it's an exciting time. I don't know if they're kind of starting it's almost like um, I'm quite excited um, for the potential new series. Um, I'm pretty excited to see David Tennant back in the, even if it is for like a special episode, pretty excited to see sure. him, him coming back. Yeah, um, I'm pretty excited to see what kind of happens after that as well, where they're going to take the direction. And um, I think I'm, quite, I'm more excited because they've got a decent writer back in. Um, yes. Because... Yes. Jodie was good, but I think Jodie got robbed by some really, really bad 
kind of writing, I think. And I think that was true under, I, I had higher hopes for Peter Capaldi. I think that the writing wasn't great for him. Mm. Like, so, but you know, I really, uh, so the first episode my wife saw was a David Tennant season. It was the one where, uh, with, uh, not Marie Antoinette, but, um, whatever the mistress to the king for madame pompadour and All right, okay. like that was like that set a high standard and yeah. so you know those early early of the re- reboot were fantastic and so the later seasons we just haven't been as super engaged with it so but yeah there's high hopes so yeah we'll see we'll see we'll see kind of what happens um what we like to do in the show apart from obviously go off on mad tangents that are kind of obviously orange colored and beautiful is um i got a couple of questions okay i'm going to start off with the logo okay is that meant to be a boot is that meant to be a boot or is that some kind of american kind of shape of a state kind of thing that i'm not getting so i live in the district of columbia which is not a state we do not we can vote for president but we don't have senators or congressmen so it's sort of taxation without representation and so those mm-hmm. of us, those of us who live in DC, have a very strong affinity for the district, and so uh-huh. that shape is the shape of the District of Columbia, which uh-huh. used to be a full diagonal. It used to be uh-huh. a, a, and then because it had been made up of part of Maryland, part of Virginia, and then in the 1830s, I think the Virginia part got given back to Virginia, and so the remaining part is just the Maryland part that was given to create the national capital district and that's what that logo is that's what the logo is because i was wondering, fact, yeah i was going to wonder where's the boot coming to it then because it does look like it's something can I kick it uh and a little side note also fort circle is the uh was the string of defensive forts that protected the capital during the civil war from the ah. confederacy so it all ties back into the history and geography of washington dc so of you have you always been a history kind of buff? Have you always yeah, been into so. your history? Was it something you've grown into? Because I think it's like one of these. I think it's either something you're interested in or you get into from a pretty early age and then you go off and study it. Or it's something that you kind of take up like building a model railway or learning how to ski that you then go, right, I'm going to take this part of history and I'm going to learn kind of everything about it. Have you always been kind of interested in history? Yeah, uh, yeah, yes. I've always liked history. I mean, and growing up, I was playing, you know, I didn't play Candyland with my dad. Like, we kicked it off with games like Feudal and Mm -hmm. then, you know, Risk and then Axis and Allies. And so, you know, I I enjoyed playing games about history, but I also enjoyed history. Like, that's the bulk of the reading that I do is historical reading. So, and and I've actually found that, well, you know, I was younger and I was always like, oh, World War II Mm. or whatever the big things are. But now I'm kind of interested in like, like offbeat topics like the banana trade in the Caribbean or (laughs) the history of the guano trade. We actually have a game that's coming out on that. Um, You know, you know what guano is, right? Yeah. So it's not like bat droppings, basically, isn't it? Yeah. Mostly birds, but yeah, bats. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so it was the, um, it was the most valuable, it was more valuable than gold because it was the best fertilizer before we had artificial fertilizers. <laughs> and the wealthiest non-noble in England in the late 1800s was this guy, Mr. Gibbs, yeah, Robert Gibbs. And so there's a, like, there's a school ditty, like Mr. Gibbs made his dibs selling the turds of foreign birds. And I'm like, <laughs> like that's history, right? So you, you got to embrace that kind of weird history. Yeah. So yes. <laughs> Gee, I, I mean, you mentioned that, but as you find it, I mean, is there kind of like weird stuff that that kind of like you go, oh, that makes kind of like so much kind of sense? Because what I find is when they teach history at school, they generally, they almost kind of like teach history to kind of reinforce a certain message. Yeah. Do you know, as in they're teaching kind of like you learn, obviously, you cover like World War Two, World War One. And it's like, well, this is the breakdown of the kind of the, the Turkish Empire, and this is why this was bad. And this is like the German Empire trying to expand, and that's why this is bad. And this is why we all came in and we all won and we were all wonderful. And then let's move on to World War Two. 
but the message seems to kind of like be reinforcing kind of it reinforces all the good bits but they they generally kind of miss out all of the bad stuff that kind of goes yeah. against kind of what happened at the same time i mean history kind of history seems to be a, a kind of a what was it the great the great I always remember, I don't know why I remember this line, but there's a line that Flavor Flav says, and he says, remember, it's history, not his story. And obviously, Terry Pratchett also says that history is always written by the victors as well. So in your journey as you go on, is there really kind of unusual bits of history that you've went, oh, we're kind of taught something a little, or we're teaching our kids kind of something slightly different from that that's not strictly kind of true? Well, you know, what I find is whenever I read a newspaper about some fairly technical subject, it is in broad brushes correct and Mm. details all wrong. And I feel like history education is sort of the same way. Like the broad brushes are correct, right? Like Mm. the Allies won World War II, right? Like that, they cover that well, but like, why things really happen, what the interconnections are, they're either brushed over or ignored. So, you know, when you do a deep dive into a historical subject, it's pretty eye-opening because like our, you know, Tories gave votes for women. Yeah. You know, there's a, it's a, it's a, she, she went into much better detail. So I shouldn't even try to tread that ground, but like, you know, the overview is like, oh yeah, there are these two upper class white women. They agitated, boom, we have votes for women. Mm. And the story is, a lot more difficult and a lot more, you know, complicated than that. But yeah. I guess at school, right, you're just trying to give the broad brushstrokes to kids. So I guess. So did you, what did you do in terms of academic side in your life? Did you go on to then kind of, what was it you went on to kind of study? Because Tori mentioned that you guys kind of like met um, at college. So yes, what was so, it, what was it you were doing yourself? So I studied history and philosophy as an undergrad and mm-hmm. then I dropped out because that was in the mid 90s. Well, I didn't drop out. I went to graduate school and it turns out I was missing some classes for my undergraduate degree. So I dropped mm-hmm. out of graduate school, but that was in the mid 90s. So I started working in the technology industry. And then mm-hmm. I was going back to take the classes that I was missing when mm-hmm. I was 29 and Tori was 17. And, oh, right. Yeah. And so, and I've known her, well, I'm not sure if I should disclose, disclose how I am. Hence how old she is. But let's say it's been for a while. So uh, I'm not 29 anymore. And uh, yeah, so. Okay. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not a super academic. Like I love reading and I love the history mm-hmm. of it. But I, was, I never loved college, which I mean, I love parts of it. But those were usually around sports and drinking. <laughs> I always fight. I don't know. I always, I always, I always butt heads with the education system. Cause I think I like, I know there's a lot of people that have had that their entire life has been defined by them having a very, very good day on an exam or a very, very bad day on an exam. <laughs> and there's a lot of people out there that kind of like, they woke up, they had a cold, they woke up, they'd just broken up with their kind of their, their short term or long term girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. And they went then it or, you know, they just didn't understand one single thing that kind of wrecked their entire course. And then they went in, studied an exam, had a bad day, and then that kind of defined their life. And I think that education is, um, I, I have kind of strange, well, not strange views, but I think education itself um, should be open to everybody. I think people should be, even if they're kind of like, no matter what kind of good job, there should, there should be kind of the ability for somebody to say, I'd like to find out more about this. And for it not to necessarily be kind of gatekept as much as it is, I, I hate the fact that education itself is kind of gatekept behind like some kind of financial barrier. If people, especially if people do want to study, there's a lot of people that are stopped from kind of studying because they don't have the money to do it. Oh, and it, I don't, and I don't, I don't necessarily think that's a good thing. Yeah, it's ridiculous here in the United States. So I'm very critical of the education system in general because it was designed to basically create factory workers right be used to working i worked for 45 minutes or 55 minutes and i there's a five minute like this kind of regimented process and you know 
I, I think, you know, I would love it if there were schools that were more like project based almost and had a more free flowing, you know, in ways to learn that are just more interesting than the classroom experience. And, but, and yet we buy into it, right? I mean, my wife and I, we have one daughter and we pay for her to go to, a, she's in middle school, just mm-hmm. starts high school next year. And, you know, the tuition is significantly higher than our mortgages. And like, like, thank God we only have one child so we can afford it. But if we had two or three children, right, which you're talking about, we wouldn't be able to. And yeah, yeah. It's just, it's a really skewed system here in the United States. But, but uh, I don't know if your listeners really care about my theories on educational <laughs> I look, this is the whole thing, right? And I said this to Tori last, and I always say it all the time, is that I'm interested in the person behind the games and their ideas and everything that they produce. Because I think the more you find out about the person and where they stand in life, it helps to kind of helps you understand why you make the games that you want to make and you also produce the fun that you want to produce as well. So I think it's always kind of highly kind of interested. We're lucky in Scotland at the moment in terms of education that if I go to, if my kids are going to university, they don't have to pay fees to go to university. University education in Scotland is still free. If you're coming from, um, if you're coming from outside of Scotland, however, there are fees that you pay, but if you're a citizen in Scotland, you know, you don't have to pay. If you go down, like if you literally go 100 miles across the border down into England, you start having to pay kind of 9,000 pounds a year, which to me is just like, you're literally telling somebody in order to get a good, in order to get the best step possible in life, you've got to take 36,000 pounds worth of debt into you, which is just, you know, again, it's like your, your, um, your hypothesis about training people to become factory workers is like, well, the easiest way to stop somebody from being able to achieve greatness or wherever they could be is to first of all, lumber them with like, you know, 30 or 40,000 pounds worth of debt as they kind of, as they kind of, as they kind of, kind of start. Um, moving on. (laughs) This is like, and this is like, so we're going to be talking about like political kind of board games. So let's start off with a healthy dose of, Let's have a starter of politics to be a starter of Doctor Who. So Doctor Who is like the starter. And then we're having a little kind of aperitif with some politics. But in so terms of talk about cricket now. I don't understand. I can't get over people who like cricket. Oh cricket <laughs> is a brilliant sport. Ugh, you're like most Americans. Cricket that was meant like... as an insult too. I like cricket's like golf. It's like as Rabbi Burns said about golf, it's a waste of a good walk. Um and cricket is just what well, cricket's like a it's it's right up there with um I, I'm sure it's wonderful if you get into it. I've just never I, you know what, it's not that. I've just never spent the time and sat down and went Yeah, I wanna learn this. It's just a bit complicated. Anything with like overs and throwing and stuff like that. Do you play? Have you played cricket? I've never played cricket. Uh, I used to have a tech company and I had a South Af- oh, an employee from South Africa. Yeah. And he was trying to convince me that we should go see the World Cup, which is, was down in the Caribbean. And I was wow. pretty skeptical. And he's like, no, you're going to love this sport. So he brought in all his gear and explained the game. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm still an American, so I like the short version of the game, right? Like a three-hour <laughs> game, not a five-day game. But, uh, but yeah, I'm all in. It's awesome. So, you can't say yeah. that because, like, American football goes on for years. I mean, it's literally one of these things that's like... I, I, I remember seeing comments about, you know, it's like somebody talking or complaining about soccer and saying, like, or football, proper football, saying, oh, only right. last 90 minutes and they, you know... And they always have to end up having kind of some kind of final. And it's like, it's never, ever high scoring. And it's like, American football isn't high scoring. It's just that you decided that when somebody scores a touchdown, you give them seven points or whatever instead of one. I mean, that's a kind of, the man. And I've seen the Super Bowl. It's like, now we're into our seventh hour of the Super Bowl, which, I mean, obviously people are going to be shouting at their um, podcast players at the moment, but I don't care. Bring it on. Um, so did you enjoy because cricket to me is like a picnic as in it's it seems to be quite there's periods of like massive amounts of kind of energy 
and people kind of things kind of get exciting. But generally, it sounds like the cricket to me sounds like the type of thing you could take a little bit of a picnic. You can kind of well, watch. You know, it's not too strenuous on the eyes. The, the longer version of the games are like that, but T twenty, I yeah. mean, that you know that's a three hour game, which is a little uh-huh. on the long side still, but that's great and like every ball matters like it's intense and you know the way they play it in the caribbean in particular is with a pretty great flair and uh yeah it's not i don't think it's dull at all but you said like a you said like a convert (laughs) i am i've turned turned my back on american sports now all i watch is real football and cricket so (laughs) you'd started drinking tea yet kevin I think it was the Doctor Who that I watched as a child. And oh was, wow! So. You're 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 literally there's, like you're there's a UK a citizen in yeah. waiting. You're just going to be coming to come over here, you know. When the refugees start to move over from America, when it falls apart, because uh, it might just do that, then you know that's going to be the test. You're going to be it's going to be like a line and say right, okay, who wants to come and live in the UK? And it's going to be like okay, anybody that has anybody watched cricket, and has anybody like football. And then you're going to be putting your hands up and you're going to get straight to the front of the queue. Nice. You're going to be, be fine. And I watched Murder in Paradise. So, like, I'm, <laughs> I, I touch all the, all, the, all the requirements for citizenship. Oh, dear. Which one, which Murder in Paradise is it you watch? Is it the one with the latest one, Ralph Little? Or is it the, is it the Arden oh, no. O'Hanlon? Or? Well, I've watched all of the seasons up until... I'm not sure who, so they're a little bit delayed here that we get them through yeah. Amazon Prime. So, All right. but I've watched from, uh, actually, I think the very first guy who was only one season yeah. might have been the best. Uh, I don't remember any of their names, but, uh, but that show is like, that's, that's like the perfect, just little snap television. You don't have to think at all. No. Right. It's just like awesome. Like, and that's about the only, uh, only thing that both my wife and I watch anymore together, that and sports. So. <laughs> you never ever would want to live there it's like let's go to paradise it's like no chance because if i know Dude, i'm new like crazy. and i'm just yeah. turning up for the first time with my holiday bags i'm dead within the first 15 minutes of me arriving there because that's yeah. how these things kind of happen it's like jessica Fletcher, the famous the famous serial killer jessica fletcher <laughs> who went around basically on a callous murdering spree and then, and then framed, setting up other people, yes. Framed, framed <laughs> hundreds of other people. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's like, you know, they're right up in the they're up in the, like a mountain shack, right? And they're just like, oh, this is peaceful. It's like this is wonderful. I just love the view and everything like that. And it's like we get on with the animals and everybody kind of looks after each other and gets on with each other. And then Jessica Fletcher turns up and literally within, you know. A day and a half, there's a a dead body who's been skewered by some kind of elk statue that they had in the hallway kind of thing. So, you know, everybody talks about, I mean, you look at the body count, Jessica, I reckon Jessica Fletcher's like right up there. You know, everybody's talking Hannibal Lecter. At least Hannibal Lecter was out in the open when he wanted to kill people. Jessica Fletcher's... And he recycled too, so... Exactly. Yeah. You know, Jessica Fletcher... Terrible yeah. woman. Terrible. <laughs> sweet, sweet, innocent old lady. I tell you, she was, she was anything. She was anything. But, um, so when you left college, <laughs> just bringing it, <laughs> try to claw it back, try to claw, claw it back like some kind of wild animal trying to get out of a cage. When you left college, what were you doing, kind of employment wise? I was working in the tech industry. So I did, I was, I started an online magazine All right. um, called Journal X, Generation X looks at politics. And then I worked for, you know, a publicly traded company and an mm. IT trade association doing their web stuff. And because mm-hmm. uh, I, I mean, I'm definitely better with numbers than I am with words. And so that kind of natural does where more of my affinity was for uh, getting things done. And then I had a company, I had a couple companies and uh while working in the tech industry is fine it's actually kind of sucks also and so i definitely prefer doing what i'm doing now because like 
you know, I get up in the morning, I write some stuff, I play some games, I do a little marketing, I make sure my games are being produced in a factory. It's like I get to do a lot of different things. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I'm doing what I want to do now. It's fun. Do you, what made you, because I, I take it when you, you must have been playing kind of getting into kind of like your, your board games. And then what made you decide, actually, I'm just going to go ahead and make this into something. Because it was shows 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 of Tripoli is your baby, isn't it? I mean, that's yes. kind of like you know. So <laughs> what kicked it off is that uh, I was reading a book about the first Barbary War, and as I do, I'll go down a rabbit hole, and so I'll read mm. a couple other books to get different perspectives, and uh, and I was like, oh, there must be a great game because this is such a fascinating historical episode, and mm. there weren't any games, so I set about designing one. And, you know, it helps that, like, Jason Matthews, who divided Design Twilight Struggles, one of my closest friends. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sort of, you have kind of like an orbit of folks that you can, and being in D.C., I mean, Volker Runke lives here, and Elizabeth Hargrave lives here. Like, you have a kind of, a lot of different, very well-known <laughs> designers. You just name, so name dropping now, Kevin. You just name drop. Do you hang about? Is there, like, kind of things where you just, like, hang about? And it's like, yeah, I was me and just Elizabeth Hargrave, just, like, you know, hanging about. At the Seven Eleven, you know, not quite but, like that. But like Jason and I go to baseball games all the time. Yeah. Uh, this Saturday we're going to the ballpark, and he's bringing his kids, and we're going to go wow. out on the field and have do batting practice and stuff. And uh, and then I've like Volko, he hosts. He's a vegan, so he doesn't like to go anywhere where there's not vegan food. So he never comes to the ballpark. Um, oh. But he hosts games at his house, and so. I have a sauerkraut sandwich and then usually get beat, which is really annoying. But uh, yeah. So yeah, it's a great place to be a game player, Washington, D.C. Like, it's it's awesome. I, what was the, I mean, what? how long were you developing Shows of Tripoli for? So I was think it? the first play test was in December of 2016. Mm-hmm. And then... In 2017, I started shopping at two other publishers and realized that they weren't going to give it the love that I would give it. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to publish it myself instead. And so I set up Fort Circle in June of 2017 uh-huh. and uh, went from there. So. But it didn't get published till 2020, right? It took time, right? We yeah. kickstarted campaign in 2019, but I went through an extensive uh, development process. We had, I don't know, 600 play testers or something absurd like that, which is good. And that's, you know, one of the things we always try to do. And then, you know, the pandemic slowed things down a little bit. So the game didn't come out until the end of 2020. But, um, you know, moderately well received. So I can't complain too much. <laughs> It's been, I wouldn't say moderately well received. I I think it's, um, it seems, it's very, it's very kind of well put together. And for people, I, I, I did kind of like, I've played it a reasonable number of times. And what I found about it was there wasn't, sometimes with like war, with like war games or these simulation games, there can be a little bit of faff about them, if you know what I mean. You feel like you feel like the you kind of like there's it's like me talking. You could get to a point an awful lot quicker, and sometimes there's just like extra stuff that's kind of added in there. And what I found with Shores of Tripoli was it was a fairly kind of lean kind of experience. Um, and yeah, I said this in the, I said this in the review, which was, you kind of you know kind of where the journey's going, you know yeah. where you're kind of going, but the kind of the prospect as you're playing through it, you never kind of feel it's in a kind of almost like a controlled environment that it kind of feels balanced and it follows kind of like the the flow. So you've got like the introduction of the kind of the army that's coming in. You've got like the um, the additional naval help from Sweden, 
if I'm wrong. Sweden. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got that kind of coming in. And these are things that you kind of kind of introduced, but they're kind of introduced in a kind of a balanced kind of piecemeal manner. But also at the same time, on the design notes, because you're quite unusual that you give an actual design. It's, it's quite unusual because I don't, I see some designers kind of give design notes, but usually their inspiration and their thoughts behind the game is something that they kind of bring out in kind of like an interview. Were you... Was it a conscious, did you a conscious decision and say, like, I'm going to write down kind of my thoughts and feelings about the kind of the game and things that I had to take out and things that weren't in the game and stuff like that? Was there a, was it a conscious decision to actually produce that as part of the overall game as well? Um, kind of. So obviously the historical essay was super important to me mm-hmm. and uh, and that was written by a woman who's now a professor at the Na- U.S. Naval Academy, where mm-hmm. the game is used in the classroom. And that I knew that was a must-have. And the designer's notes I wrote basically for myself if I was buying this game. I'm like, what would be the things I would be curious about? Mm-hmm. And so I wrote it as if I was buying the game, not knowing anything about it, but like, well, why did they do this? And why did they mm-hmm. do this? And so I, that's the kind of questions I'm always curious about. And so that's why, um, that's why I wrote it that way. It will probably do a second printing next year. And I might tighten that essay up a little bit. I don't think it's necessarily my best work, uh, but it, in general, I was happy with the direction of it. So to kind of get a feel for why I did the things I do, um, I, not to exactly change the subject, but I have a substack that it's called um, Negotium Ludorum, which is the business of games in mm. Latin. And I talk a lot about like, all right, here's why we're changing how we're doing shipping, or here's why we're changing how we're doing this, or here's yeah. why we do this, and here's the cost of this. Because I find that kind of you know business history, I guess, or development history really interesting. And I know... Everybody doesn't, but at least some people do. And so I'm sort of writing for towards those uh, like-minded souls, I guess. No, I mean, I totally understand it. I know that there's quite, there's a few people that kind of do kind of like designer diaries. I know that Frank, Frank West does a regular one. Obviously, um, Jamie Stegmaier is kind of famous for doing his kind of his blog and he kind of, because there seems to be, there still seems to be a little bit of, not secrecy, but um, I think because board game manufacturing and production and the, a lot of the journeys that people go through, they go through them by themselves. So they'll decide to kickstart or something and then it's like, yep, we managed to get this kickstarted and we managed to kind of get it out to you. And a lot of people don't share the kind of the individual journeys of that. I think, I don't know if sometimes it's in case in case somebody goes, you know, you could have done it this way and it would have saved you three months and they're like going, oh, okay. Um, but I think it takes a lot of, it's almost like a little bit of courage to kind of put yourself out there and say, okay, this is why we did this. This is why we did that. Especially in the, um, especially I can imagine in the kind of the factual gaming kind of community and, the, you know, obviously the, the war gaming side of things, I can imagine that if you hadn't said that, I know that we, you know, I know that we kind of like, uh, I think you mentioned in the design notes, you're talking about the kind of like the frigates that I think the Americans used. <laughs> you make a note yeah. on that. And I'm kind of, and I read it and I kind of went, oh, who's going <laughs> to, nobody's going to comment on that. And they went, no, no, correct yourself. Because I think <laughs> probably oh, would yeah, be will. somebody that would be like, <laughs> I'm sure you probably kind of get, if you went onto the BGG kind of page within, or you know, the some of the board gaming forums and Shores of Triple is brought up, you'd probably get somebody that you'd probably get somebody that would complain about the kind of the the color of the yellow isn't really actually the yellow that's in the kind of the Swedish flag. I think you'll find that the Pantone for this is this color, and I think that the one that you've used is actually that color instead, kind of thing, for that particular well, time of year, kind of thing. If they care enough to do the research on that, God bless them. Is it too early and too public to say congratulations for the Charles Roberts nomination for Votes for Women? Well, 
that's a sticky issue. Uh, <laughs> Shall we not on, talk about that then? No, I'm happy to. Um, on one side, uh, there are some people who are very, uh, their sense of the world has been upset a little bit by that nomination. Right. But then on the, on the flip side, you know, I, I'm, there's an award for like best presentation. Yeah. And I would, I really think that Buzz Rome should have been one of those five, but you know, reasonable people can disagree. So mm. no big deal on that. The one that I'm a little peeved about, uh, is that Tori did not get a nomination for best new designer. Yeah. They only had three and I'm not meaning to take anything away from the three nominations there were, but you know, usually there's up to five nominations in these categories, I certainly was a little shocked that Tori was not uh, one of the boys enlisted. So, but maybe that has something to do with it. Um, I mean, talking about when, when Tori was kind of regaling the tale of how Votes for Women kind of came around, they said that basically, well, you know, they came to you and said, "What about this idea about you know the um, the kind of the suffrage, the Nineteenth Amendment, the kind of the suffrage struggle?" And you turned around and basically said, "Well, that sounds wonderful. Go away and make it." Was it like that? Did did you actually say, "Right, off off your trot, then and <laughs> go and go and get it made"? Mostly yes, but I've been thinking <laughs> right. about it also, and uh-huh. I think I even kind of started dropping the hints to her mm-hmm. and then she thought it was her, her idea so it worked out that was my brilliant <laughs> plan uh yeah I, it was something like that i'm gonna go with it you know <laughs> when in doubt print the legend <laughs> and how much involvement was there back and forth was it was it 90 percent kind of her effort with 10 percent of guidance from yourself or did you kind of like try and consciously kind of stay away from it as kind of as much as possible just to let's see what kind of happened so the research part was 99 percent her mm-hmm. about the only input i had on that is i was born in the state of montana jeanette rankin was the first congresswoman ever elected mm-hmm. i was like we got to have a card for her and that yeah. meant a lot to me and, uh, but other than that, she was all the research when it came to the mechanics and talking through the mechanics, that was really much more of a team effort. Um, obviously the mechanics lean into 1960 and to a lesser extent, Watergate, yeah. um, and, and kind of classic car driven games. And so, you know, she was building on that base, but we had a lot of discussions and Jason Matthews had a lot of input. And then the rest of our senior tester play testers, my wife, who is one of the more senior play testers who involved, like what are the mechanisms and how do they relate to what really happened historically? And so, you know, that, that was a much broader team that worked on that. Obviously Tori gets, deserves all the credit or the majority of the credit, however, you know, mm. but that was a, that was a broader team that worked on that. And I'm really pleased with some of the things that ended up coming at about from it. Like, you know, we know a lot of people don't like dice rolling and we're like, well, how do we mitigate that? Yeah. And the notion that organizational strength leads to better outcomes was where the buttons came about because yeah. there's not, they're not just a currency, right? Yeah. They are representative of you've invested in your organizational infrastructure. Therefore you're more likely to win court cases or to win Uh, elections or whatever and so I was really happy with that I like um, one of my one of the very few things that uh, I definitely in uh, suggested for the mechanisms is the cards that you draw where it allows you to draw two events and play one those are all books and that was my recommendation because I'm like books allow you know folks to have a broader thought and therefore you have access to more ideas which is access to more cards that was my probably my real contribution to the whole effort so um but and then we had you know an extensive again an extensive playtest we sent out 100 playtest kits which cost a great deal of money i'm not sure i'm going to quite do that many for future games um and that was really helpful because a lot of people get really good feedback they're like this doesn't quite work here yeah this doesn't work here or this seems a little convoluted. So we're able to, you know, 
lean into all the uh, playtesters' comments to, to streamline it appropriately, try to get that playtime down to, you know, first play might be 90 minutes, but if you're an experienced player, 60, 65 minutes. So, uh-huh. um, yeah, I'm super thrilled with how that turned out. Is it in terms of playtesting then? Of do you would you consider for the future kind of looking towards a kind of a more um, electronic environment, as in kind of like your Tabletopia or your Tabletop Simulator? I so it's s- interesting. So David Thompson swears by uh, Tabletop Simulator, and, and we're publishing a game that he's co-designing with Liz Davidson on the Night Witches. And that, that's where almost all of their playtesting has been. Uh, but, and, and it's working for them. For yeah. me, I need to play a game and like go through the physical things that the player is doing, where they're moving things, make sure the layout and ergonomics of the game design are right. And if you're making changes, right, you may come on TTS, you really don't, see what happens or if you're playing it on on a board like you feel it and you see it and you get it and so uh you know i think probably the future is some kind of hybrid of that where you have a group of physical playtesters and you have a group of online playtesters yeah i think it's i think the interesting thing about i mean from my own personal view is like i will quite happily jump on to say board game arena and play a game that I've already played, but I find it really, really difficult to learn of <laughs> learn a game that I haven't played before on board game arena. I mean, I've jumped on and I've played like Viticulture and I've played, you know, you play like Don't Stop and all the, you know, the classics and stuff like that, and you know, even things like, um, <clears throat> um, you know, quite, a, quite a, just a few kind of like different games I've kind of like played online. Um, but the TTS stuff, it's kind of, it's okay. But I kind of look on it as a kind of like a simulation. And there was something about one of the things that I said about Votes for Women. And and even, okay, and let's go back Shores of Tripoli as well. Is I really love the chunkiness of the counters that you have in Shores of Tripoli. You know, even when I was playing that game, Right, and you had like your kind of your gold, your gold pieces, your fair tributes. It's hard not to actually pick them up and physically kind of like you're so almost like physically connecting yeah. with them like poker chips. You're basically saying kind of like, look, this is my this is my kind of loot or this is my tribute that I've managed to kind of gain. And the ships were kind of chunky, and just the feel of the cardstock. And it's not like a big game. It doesn't take up a huge amount of space. And even once you've got the cards in, but it was the same like votes for women with the, like the crosses and the, the, the ticks and the crosses. There was something very, very tactile about physically being able to handle those pieces and kind of put them out on the table. Even like the, the Senator columns, the pillars for the Senate. There's something kind of really, really nice. I don't know if it's maybe just a little bit of Luddite in me. I mean, I'm quite happy to jump on to like, I'll play Ticket to Ride on the phone app. You know, I've even played Galaxy Trucker, which for me was just, that was just weird. Um, But, and I have played kind of Kickstarter demo versions, but I guess I assume I kind of tie in tabletop simulator too much with a, with a, um, with a kind of almost like a prototype type thing, and I understand the power of it, and I can totally understand. I can see, kind of, I can see how Liz and David would use it because they're on. You know, I think they're not. They don't. I don't think they live too close to each other. I know that obviously. I know that you know. Liz has got Liz and David have got both kind of busy day jobs as well. So I can imagine the thing to do would be let's put this all together in one place and not have to worry. And I guess in the play testing side of things, you could just handle out TTS codes to a lot of people and get them to play them. But I would say if I was then looking to get kind of physical, if I want got into the physical play testing, I'd probably do what you did and I'd probably end up <laughs> with a pair of scissors and you know some wooden dowels and actually kind of physically making the components before I kind of I kind of kind of sent them out well and I think a lot of people are t- 
attracted to games that are tactile, right? Yeah. Like, like you said, you feel your shit. I mean, frankly, I wish the wood was heavier. Like mm. I got the heaviest wood that they can produce. And, uh, but yeah, like you feel your pieces and like, or the visual of those crosses or ticks as you call them on the board, right? Like, like you can physically feel, see, like yeah. your impending doom or not, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. I, and I just don't, I don't think you can replicate that online. I, it's not, it's not as good of an experience. And so even if we do, you know, some play testing online, I, you know, I'm, despite working in the tech industry, I am kind of a neo-Luddite in ways, right? Like I want a board game to look good on the board. Mm-hmm. When I was in college, I worked at a game store, the Gamekeeper chain of like, I don't know, 40 stores, mostly in the West. And um, like the chess sets that we sold were gorgeous, right? Like yeah. you're buying that not to play chess, you're buying that so it looks good it just while you gets play chess. It displayed on the table, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, you know, the idea with Shores of Tripoli and Votes for Women and the, you know, the other games that we come out with, the idea is they are good games to play, but they also look good mm-hmm. and they're, and they can be used to, you know, entice people who are maybe game curious or historian, history buffs who aren't gamers and, yeah. you know, bring them onto the cause. Well, yeah, I mean, and that, I mean, if you do look at, I mean, even if you look at like Twilight Struggle, which is a classic and the color scheme is absolutely fabulous. But it's still, if you just look at the board, it looks like, oh, where does this go? Where does this go? And I've seen kind of like some of the more in-depth kind of war game, war games, which are like hexes and squares and cards and a map. And that's kind of it. And there's not, it's like somebody would go, so what's this like? And it's like, this is the best game ever made. And it's like, it doesn't. <laughs> look <laughs> like the, the, I don't know if I'm just like being kind of like an art snob but I think you're right if you know one of the things about um shows of triple was it's a it's a primary color festival <laughs> you know you've got your reds you've got your yellows you've got your oranges you've got your golds you've got you know the board the board itself is so that when people come over they're going to be looking at it and going so what's this game then and votes for women it's kind of it's graphical design and stuff like that. Again, everything down to the graphical design on the cards to the kind of the board itself. And once you get all the ticks and crosses out, it certainly kind of looks kind of inviting. Now with, with the, with votes for women being as received as well as it has been and shows of Tripoli being received as well as it has been as well, have, um, has that, and you're obviously you're talking about like Halls of Montezuma, which is a game coming up, you've got Guana Guana. Has that enticed you to look at kind of topics external to kind of like your modern or your kind of your historical kind of wargaming and say, what else can we potentially kind of gamify here? What could we make a game? Or is, it, is, it, is that a bit of a struggle? Well... I mean, if I wanted to make money, I'd make some fantasy game with cute little animals or dragons <laughs> or whatever, right? But I I guess I don't want to make money, so that's why I stick to historical topics. Um, but, you know, I so we had a... We were pitched a design on D-Day. Yeah. And I have to be honest, the design was pretty good. I really like it. I'll buy it when it comes out. But I decided not to publish it because there's already several hundred games on D-Day, and I don't know this game added anything to it, and and it was a little loose uh, on the history, and I'm like, just oh yeah. <laughs> just yeah. Right? <laughs> right? Yeah. So, and for the purposes of the tape, I would just like to say I've broke up evidence marked ABC, which is undaunted reinforcements box, which is fully full. Fully full of undaunted indeed. So yeah, so you know, I I definitely want to do interesting topics. Maybe the furthest a field I would go from history is maybe an alternative history. Um Jason uh, Matthews and I have been talking about a game where you're John F. Kennedy and mm. you survive the assassination attempt. And so then you have to get reelected 
deal with both foreign policy crises, particularly Vietnam and the civil rights uh, movement, and identify who killed you, which, like, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, right? Like, mm. I know who killed Kennedy. But, you know, kind of give into maybe the Cubans were behind it, maybe the right, like, kind yeah, of yeah, give, yeah. A, give, like, a, and so you're trying to solve who was behind the, the attack. And I think that would be a really great game, but it is obviously not a historical game. So that's maybe the furthest afield I'm probably willing to go. Um, and we might not even publish that as Fort Circle. We might put it under an imprint brand because we don't want, like, I don't want people to think we're conspiracy theorists. You know, John F. Kennedy's actually alive or something with Elvis. <laughs> but uh, you, could, you could just put like a little mark down the circle and make it look like, like Q Fort Circle games. <laughs> Yes, I don't let's think not we'll do be doing that. No. <laughs> let's not. Let's so. not. Let's not. There's enough of that. It's like you joke about it, but there's enough people that are like, you know, it's like they've got that I want to believe poster above their <laughs> above their desk, and they and they certainly can kind of believe. But have you not thought of like kind of doing like a Richard Bachman, as Stephen King did, and kind of make kind of like a resource. A resource management kind of game, but in a kind of a, a war game, but in a kind of a cutesy format type thing. I, well, I think the Guano game comes a little close to that uh-huh. um, because, right? So in Guano, you are game will come out till well into probably end of next year. But yeah. describing it for the folks, you know, you start with a small company. You have you and two ships, and it's basically a worker placement game, mm. and. You explore new islands, which you find more birds and bats that are, and there's different kinds of birds. And so you'll right put little cute bird meeples on mm. the islands, and they are creating excrement that then you're selling, and then you're selling, you're turning that into Gilded Age baubles. So you're turning shit into gold, <laughs> and uh, and that's just kind of cool right and that's a little cutesy and, and I also and my wife is the lead designer on that and I think that may be our bestseller I think it may even outsell David Thompson's game so we'll see and is, but, uh, is, is, is Kate currently in the room is that why you're saying that out loud then <laughs> well she's in the attached room that there's no door to it's an open oh uh, right okay to, so okay yeah okay. do you want to say hi Kate hi there we go there we go yeah <laughs> Um, but what, I mean, you've got Guano, 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 you've got Halls of, Halls of Montezuma as well. Are there other things kind of plan? I mean, are you, with the kind of the connections that you have and stuff like that, are you looking at potentially games kind of outside the Fort Circle brand, kind of bigger collaborations and stuff like that? You mentioned talking to kind of like, you must speak to obviously David Thompson. Um, well, you know, David Thompson may be a vampire because he never sleeps. And he talked, you know, he pushes out, what, 12 designs a year and yeah. has a day job. So, like, obviously, you know, it's going to take eight companies to publish all his work alone. So, like, I don't see us doing any kind of, like, partnership with Osprey or something. Like, that doesn't make sense. I don't I don't even know what that would look like. Um mm. I'm I'm really happy with kind of the games we have lined up. I mean, you know, we have Halls of Montezuma, and then we have a game called First Monday in October, which is about the history of the Supreme Court, which uh, Talia Rosen, a uh, local attorney here, designed. Then mm-hmm. we have Hunt for Blackbeard, which is by Boko Runke. That'll probably be the next game after that. We're designing a game about Shakespeare's um, first folio for the Folger Shakespeare Library here in town. But I'm not sure if we're going to release that as us or under the Folger Library brand mm-hmm. because they're a museum and they actually have more first folios than uh, anybody in England, which is kind of <laughs> typical American. Well, it's standard oil money that funded all that stuff back in the day. Um, you know, and then we have this game on Guano. We have uh, Jason Matthews has two games, one about um, the King Edward VIII and Wallace Simpson abdication. And then on the Treason Trial of Aaron Burr, we have a game on the history of Washington, D.C. We have a couple other designs we're looking at. Maybe some labor, you know, Tori probably will work on a game on the labor movement. Um, so, like, 
this is kind of a broad oh and of course night witches by liz and david so like we are looking at kind of a broad group of games yeah. right um and now the onus is now that the pandemic has mostly run its course as far as affecting production and shipping you know now can we be publishing three four five games a year and that's what i'm focused on like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i need to stop you know going to baseball games and watching cricket and soccer and need to work a little bit harder so I can get all these games out so people can enjoy them. What about a cricket game then? What about a cricket game? You can't, you so, know, what about a cricket well, game, Kevin? You know, how's that? So I, <laughs> I that's funny. Uh, <laughs> I designed, I actually did kind of draft out a design of what a cricket game would look like, yeah. but I, I sort of play tested it myself and even play a T10 game would take an hour. So like a T20 game would take two hours. And that's when I'm like, oh, that's too long. Uh, so yeah. probably not. So, um, Oh, I, there's a game, uh, there's a design I'm working on that I actually love, though. Uh, it's, do, have you ever played Republic of Rome? I've heard of it, but I have not right. played have it. You, have you ever played Dune Imperium? Yes. So I would say it is a mix of Republic of Rome and Dune Imperium set during George Washington's two pres- two terms of presidency, so eight years, and you're all of the, you know, you're Burr and Jefferson and Hamilton and Adams, and you're all trying to get your way to be the next president once George Washington leaves the scene. And with all the hist- historical personalities and all the backbiting, and so it's got kind of a Dune Imperium feel where you're drafting in or, you know, getting different people to come to your side to be yeah, part yeah, of your yeah, team. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, you know, you're dealing with England and France, which is kind of similar to how, you know, the, the tracks work in Dune Imperium. But then there's these crises that come up that, you know, it's somewhat cooperative because if you don't resolve them, enough of them will crash the country and you all lose. Yeah. Uh, so I'm really excited about that, but uh, I don't think that might, might not be like 2026, frankly. That's, that's pretty far out. Yeah, but I mean, there's nothing wrong with that because I know that there's some people that, you know, they have no, they kind of, they're not, they've not got the plan there or that, you know, that's like, what can we do next? And I, I know that I think the pandemic, one of the things that it, it kind of reduced a lot of businesses to almost like a hand to mouth kind of basis. Because am I right in saying Votes for Women was on Kickstarter, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. So we... We kickstarted it in 2020 yeah. and it was a little rushed, like the, the product, like I took it down the video that we used because it had some things that, you know, we changed quite a bit yeah, of stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. from that initial design. And, you know, I was expecting we deliver it in 2021. And then what happened, I think what a lot of people miss is, you know, there's all these shipping woes. Well, that's one thing. But so then the factories had made a bunch of games that weren't being shipped. And so they're just sitting there. So then the factories are like, well, we can't make any more games. And so that knocked us out of 2021 into 2022. And so we took that time to make a better game. And I'm really happy we did like the extensive play testing, like really was super valuable. And then, um, uh, yeah. And so like we got knocked off our schedule, like the big companies who had already had a lot of inventory. I mean, those companies did great because there was this pent up demand for board games, but you know, newer companies who are trying to get product developed was just a nightmare. Um, not a nightmare. It, it was a challenge. Uh, it was an opportunity, uh, in corporate speak. Um, but so now, you know, the shipping prices are back to normal. I mean, production prices are higher because of inflation, but they're not terrible. Yeah. And so, you know, I think we're kind of on, a normal path and we survived whereas you know certainly we see that some game companies have not survived so um i'm glad we survived mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now um you seem pretty sociable fella because you've got your own you've got your own little con am i right that yeah you are? yes circle dc circle dc yeah so that must, that must how did that come about then well so I like, so Tori and I, as she probably related, we did debate and mm. I 
really enjoyed hosting debate tournaments. And so like in the 2010 to 15 era, I was working with embassies here in DC to host debate tournaments and colleges, mostly from the States, but like, like some from some teams from Africa and some teams from Europe and some teams Mm -hmm. from Canada would come. And it was really super fun. I really enjoyed kind of that kind of thing. I think if I really had answered my true calling in life, I would have been a wedding planner because that's the kind of thing I like to do. And so uh, no one's hiring an overweight middle-aged white guy to plan their weddings. So the second best thing is to plan a convention. And so we're really lucky, right? We have all these designers local and folks came in and we did some interesting things. So we had a tour of the Pentagon by uh, one of my friends who's a war gamer. He is the war gamer for the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Like, that's his job. And so he gave <laughs> a tour to folks who wanted to sign up for that. And now we're thinking about the things we can do next year, right? Like, there's historic cruises, there's yeah. tours of the Capitol. Um, because we're making this game about the Supreme Court, we're working with the Supreme Court Historical Society. So they're super cool. Our project with the Folger Shakespeare Library. It's all downtown DC. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're trying to think about, we want people to come and play games. We probably want to add kind of an academic track so we can, you know, think about games in a slightly more serious context, but then we want to do cool shit. And I think that DC is one of the coolest places to do yeah, yeah. things. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's sort of, uh, sort of where that comes from. And, I love, I hate going to conventions because I never kind of know what my role is. Like, yeah, if I'm teaching games, okay, I know what my role is, but I'm not, I don't just like roll up to someone and say, hey, let's play a game. Like that's, I'm not yeah, that yeah, yeah. extroverted. Yeah. But since it's my convention, I can do whatever <laughs> I want. I'm like, come on in. It's my let's party. This. Like, yeah. And so you don't like it, you can leave. So, uh, so yeah, so. That's, I think I should just host two conventions and not go to any conventions. And I'd be happy with that. So You need to run it. I think there's a convention board game. Yeah. There has to be, there has to be some kind of resource planning convention type board game. I, I was watching, go. so when I was playtesting the Shores of Tripoli, I saw someone who had a game, a game about attending a game convention. So it wasn't about hosting it, but it was about going and you had to, yeah, 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 I don't know. Yeah. And I was just like, yawn like that's not that's not fun like i guess i'm a little more grounded in the games i want to play like you know games about artichokes and antelopes and whatever are fine but they're not really the games i like to play so i like to play you know like terraforming mars we have a mission we're trying to terraform mars and our you know, I'd love to be art director for Terraforming Mars because there's so many oh. things I would do. I was so many, so many things. There's so many things like that. Do you know what Terraforming Mars is? Terraforming Mars is a pair of Crocs. That's, and that's not saying it's a Croc. What I'm saying, it's a pair of Crocs, right? It's a really, really good kind of practical application. And I can understand why there's certain people that find it comfy, comfortable. And for a lot of people, it is their comfort game. They will slip on a pair of Crocs and they'll put terraforming Mars on the table and they'll play it. And, you know, they'll not be able to go out in cold weather in it. They'll not be able to go out in the rain wearing their Crocs. They'll not even be able to go out in the snow. You know, if it gets too hot, the Crocs will get too hot. But they they like their Crocs. And te- there's, but there's so many things that I would take with terraforming Mars and kind of change it on a slight kind of practical level just to kind of make it. And people do already, which is the funniest thing about right. it. And they're the fierce well, defenders of it. I'll agree with you and disagree with you. That's I think fine. the gameplay is pretty solid. Like, mm-hmm. And it's pretty easy to teach. Like it's got a lot of value in that. As how it looks on the table is an embarrassment, right? Yeah. Like some of those cards are terrible. Yep. And, uh, so set across. from an artwork. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I guess I mostly agree, but I think it's a good game. I mean, I've, you know, yeah. I, it's easy to teach to people, people get the metaphor, what you're doing and yeah. that counts for a lot. So 
Yeah. You know, and it's and it's sold more cops than votes for women, so you know. That we'll, that, yeah, right. time, time's going to tell on that, I think. That's true. We'll see. <laughs> time, time's gonna, I think time's going to time's gonna tell on that. Time's going to tell on that. Um, if people have listened along and they want to f- they want to just keep in contact and just keep an eye on your little fort circle, where do you exist on the internet webs, Mr. Bertram? So I'm fairly active on Twitter mm-hmm. at Fort Circle. Mm-hmm. Um, our website is fortcircle.com. Yes. And then I write uh, about the business of games at budorum.substack.com. And I should link that for my Twitter bio, but I don't. But I'll get on that. Um, so, yeah, those are the main places. And we will. what we'll do is we'll make sure we take all of those links and we'll put them in the show notes so that we have got notes to show. And if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, just go to the internet webs and search for We're Not Wizards and you'll find us in all the various different places. We've got the blog. We've got our <clears throat> Twitter account as well. We've got our Instagram account. We've got our Facebook group. We're just everywhere like some kind of hot summer rash, which isn't itchy enough to be annoying and make you get cream. But kind of is just kind of always there. In a the multimedia background. empire. <laughs> multimedia empire. Indeed. <laughs> um, if, and also, if you've liked what you listened to tonight, go on to your podcast catcher of choice and drop us a rating or review. If you are going to be giving us a rating or review, remember not to give us 10 stars because it makes me big headed. I don't need to be any more big headed. But at the same time, don't give me one star because it makes us cry. Give me something in the middle, like a five, because it's average. I'm just a little bit average. But the person who's not been average is rather wonderful, rather fantastic, came full, came full circle with his forts <laughs> while standing on the shores of Tripoli and looking at his votes for women <laughs> and making sure the whole thing doesn't turn to guano. <laughs> <laughs> It's Kevin Bertram. Thank you very, very much for guesting, Kevin. It's my pleasure. <laughs> and there's only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we're many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Kevin? No, absolutely not. Yeah. And the next thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Kevin. Say goodbye, Kevin. Goodbye, Kevin. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes, make something awful. And... um. If you're liking a bit of history, but then you look at the history books and you're just like, they're history books and they're a bit dull and they're a bit dusty and they're a bit grey and they're a bit boring. You want a little bit more excitement of your history and get yourself to Four Circle Games. Until the next time, goodbye. A wizard is never linked. He early. He arrives precisely when he means to.